Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. Kirk Hamilton is the editor-at-large for Kotaku.com, and he's always been a huge fan of music and games. He actually studied music. He studied jazz at the University of Miami and ended up playing in the Bay Area for a while and teaching. That's just to let you know where he's coming from. He knows his stuff. I've always enjoyed talking with Kirk about game music, so I had him on to talk about what some of his more recent favorites are lately. In fact, that's what you're hearing now. It's some of his favorite music from Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. He'll talk about how much he loves that score in a little bit. I want to mention quickly that we're about to upload several hours of patron-only content. It includes the panels I did at VGMCon here in Minneapolis on the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of March. I did one solo panel about how we put this podcast together, and several panels with composers Rich Vreeland, a.k.a. Disasterpiece, and Jason Graves. Jason's done a bunch of VR stuff lately, so we get to talk a lot about that and hear tons of examples of both Rich's and Jason's work. So that's for all the patrons, and that'll be online shortly, this conversation you're about to hear with Kirk Hamilton. Before we recorded this, I sat down and made a list. That's a very hard um, decision to make. So I run every year at Kotaku, we do a post that says the best, you know, the best video game music of the year. And it used to be, I think, the 10 best. And then I just threw that out because I decided that was stupid and I couldn't constrain it to 10. Mm -hmm. Because even a lot of games that I don't like for various reasons or that have problems, a lot of times they still have good music. And while I do think that a video games, like the actual game itself, matters when you're considering the music and a lot of times they you know the game and the music work together in interesting ways sometimes the music is just good and the game isn't and yeah <laughs> there are so many good games every year or good game soundtracks every year that it was impossible so I have a million favorites but I thought I'd just talk through a few um, yeah. that that have been on my mind so one game that came out this year is a game called Persona 5 which is a Japanese role-playing game um, by uh, developed by team I think it's the P studio at Atlas and their their games have amazing soundtracks composed by a composer named Shoji Maguro, who also composed the music for Persona 4, which I think I maybe like a little better than Persona 5, but they're very similar. And I, I Japanese games and Japanese role-playing games like this in particular have this really certain thing that I really like. Um, there's a lot of text. There's a lot of reading in these games. There is voice acting now. There didn't used to be. But there's sort of a, a sort of visual novel element where you're spending a lot of time just reading text as people, you know, and, and not listening to people speak it. So the music itself kind of takes on a different role in games like that. And this is also true of old Japanese role-playing games like Final Fantasy and Chrono Trigger, where there isn't spoken dialogue. So you're listening to you're listening to the music and reading people talking and kind of imagining what what they sound like and what the tone of their voice is. So maybe this really dramatic scene is happening mm. and someone is emoting and something horrible has happened, but they, you know, they're not actually saying it. So you have to imagine it. And the music does the emotional heavy lifting. Mm. And it's the only thing you're hearing. So it winds up being kind of your emotional lifeline for the entire game. And it defines the emotion of the game. And I think that's one of the reasons people get so attached to those soundtracks from those games.
So Persona, Persona 5, um, and Persona 4 do this quite a bit. They have a lot more voice acting in those games. But there's this kind of repetitive quality to the soundtrack in those games where the same track always plays for each scenario. Like in Persona 5, you're kind of doing heists. This game is like you're a group of high school kids who then go into this shadow realm where you can you can steal the hearts of the corrupt old people, like adults in the population. <laughs> and so it's like a heist game and you're mm-hmm. kind of, you know, fantastical criminals doing magical stuff. Um, and then it's also a kind of a, a dating life sim where you're just a, a kid in Japan going to high school. And there are so many beats that repeat over and over. It's a hundred hour game or something. It's super long. There's a, there's a ton of chapters and each chapter kind of follows a similar structure. You identify your new target and then you have this meeting where you plan stuff and then you do some kind of grinding through the levels and then there's usually a twist or something happens and, you know, problems arise. And each time one of those things happens, the music is always the same and it takes on this kind of totemic quality almost where, okay, now this music is playing. That means we're in a planning scene or we're in an emotional sure. scene or someone lost something and it um it winds up being this really it's kind of clumsy and heavy-handed but i like it because it's so it's kind of very obvious but okay i get it the music is hitting me over the head with the fact <laughs> that i'm supposed to feel sad right now but something about it i, I find it charming because the music maybe because the music itself is very very good and well performed and just cool so that's one game <laughs> The soundtracks of those games are unlike a lot of other soundtracks. It's there's there are some particular things that I think Japanese games tend to do more than Western games. There are a lot more songs that were written specifically for the soundtrack, where the battle music will have a singer singing lyrics, and sometimes the lyrics are about what you're doing in the <laughs> game, and yeah. like things that you just don't, or at least I don't really notice as much in Western, European, and American games, um, yeah. but are but are more particular to Japanese games that Persona games do very, very well. And I like, and they just kind of have a funky pop jazz, like fusion jazz sensibility mm-hmm. um, that I think is just how Maguro writes music. And I, I always really like that. So another game that is a recent game that has a fantastic soundtrack is a game called Cuphead. Do you know this game? Man, that's a great soundtrack. It's so good. Um, yeah. It, so it, re- it reminds me of Peter McConnell's soundtrack for Grim Fandango. Yes. Um, which is, of course, a beloved, another jazzy, jazz beloved soundtrack um, performed by just a really good band. I watched some of the clips of Chris Madigan putting his group together and in the studio, he got just some jazz cats to play it. And the band is legit, man. I mean, the the first time I listened to it, I just thought, okay, yeah, these guys can play. And you don't always hear that in jazzy soundtracks these days. I'm not sure the reason. There's a lot of like indie games will kind of have a jazz soundtrack with real instruments, but sometimes they'll just get players that are okay, but not great that just, you know, they sound fine and they're getting the the vibe generally, but there isn't, you know, as a sort of snob, jazz snob, there's never a time where the tenor player will play something. And I'll think, oh, okay, 
this person can, you know, can swing, this person can play. Where with the Cuphead soundtrack, that's a real band. They're killing it. Yes. Um, and then the music itself is just so cool. He talked a lot about, I'm sure you talked to him about this, um, mm-hmm. the Duke Ellington influence. We talked about a little bit about this on um, Kotaku Split Screen on my podcast. Yeah. Uh, just about the Duke Ellington influence and sort of Duke's whole sound. And it's just really cool. It was really cool to play this game. Actually, I... Actually, I should say, I didn't play that much Cuphead. Um, I haven't had time because it's so difficult and requires, yes. kind of requires a serious commitment. Yep. And, you know, you like I just, there's so many games out right now. And I played a bit and thought, okay, I, I get it. I don't really have time to do this. And then I went and watched a, um, a playthrough by <laughs> some someone who did, a, I think, an untouched playthrough of every boss. So Jeez. they beat every boss without taking a hit. Yeah, which this game is super hard. Yeah. And, uh, that it, it's fun to watch just to watch how skilled they are. But this game is so fun to watch and listen to just without <laughs> playing it because it doesn't, it looks so wild. And mm-hmm. the, the the animations are just, it, you know, it's this 30s style cartoon and the music is so swinging and the whole thing is just gorgeous. And I had a really good time. I just wound up watching this, like I think entire playthrough of the game is about 30 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I seriously love the love the anime, love everything oh. they did. I mean, I grew up in the '70s, which I did mm-hmm. not. I didn't grow up in the '30s, but in the '70s, <laughs> you still found that shit on TV all the time. Oh yeah. And so, I mean, it just is like super nostalgic to mm-hmm. to see that and and to just hear how they they did that so so well and yeah, just the the players are legit as hell and they're mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that I think that that's a tough thing to do to really nail that kind of vibe. And the fact that they did it both in the animations where just the ways, the ways things are kind of sped up, the ways, the, the little jokes that happen. There's this one, one of the jokes, there's a Medusa lady that you fight in this one level and she's kind of this big boss and she goes through a bunch of phases. She starts as this kind of mermaid and then she becomes a Medusa and her hair becomes snakes. And then she starts shooting freeze rays at you and she's like squeezing an eel to shoot stuff. And then her body, she accidentally freezes her own body and it falls <laughs> off and then she's a floating head. And then it just goes on and on and on through these phases. And finally, when you beat her, it's all going very fast. And then one of the snakes plays a violin when she's kind of dead (laughs) at the very end. And it's just one of those little visual jokes that's so perfect and exactly like what those cartoons look like. And yeah, they got that. And then the music is also just this very, very legit sounding 30s, 40s big band sound. It's super cool. So one game that I think is an interesting one to talk about is Inside by Playdead. Did you play this game? I didn't, but these are the guys who did Limbo, right? Yeah, it's the same people, and it's Martin Stieg Anderson is the sound. So he's a combination sound designer, sound director, audio director, and composer Yeah. for um, Playdead, which is a pretty small, I believe, Dutch studio. I hope I'm not wrong about that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they're Dutch. And um, yeah, they made the game Limbo, which I'm sure a lot of people know. This is the kind of follow-up to that. It's an amazing game. Um, it's like a, it's like Limbo in some ways, the side-scrolling 
dark mm-hmm. game with no talking and it's very macabre, but also just goes beyond limbo in every way and is really incredible. And it's an amazing soundtrack. It is not very melodic. There aren't, you know, motifs that play or anything. It's very just dirge like in these weird sound effects. You're in this kind of surreal landscape that it's not clear what's going on or who you're, the little boy you're controlling is or what this world is or what's happening. There's sinister, horrible things. You're kind of going through these factories and almost like weapons testing facilities eventually that you get to and really weird stuff is happening. It just gets weirder and weirder as you go. And it's kind of like a horror game. There are moments in that game. There's one moment where you come out of this big structure and then you're in this field with these huge sort of poles everywhere. And there are these pulses coming from sort of behind you. So this is a side-scrolling game. So the pulses are kind of coming from behind your character toward the screen. Okay. And if you get caught out in the open when a pulse comes, it just blows you apart. And it's really (laughs) gory and kind of horrifying. And you just die immediately. So the puzzle of the whole section involves... um, timing your motion so you're behind cover whenever a pulse comes and it doesn't it's not clear what they're doing or who's doing what it's just are they testing are these aliens are they testing some massive weapon (laughs) what is going on is and um it's this just kind of like like this really really wild sound effect that happens every time and then as you make your way through the level these tones start to play the soundtrack itself the music begins to kind of layer on top of it and there's this just kind of like undulating thing happening and it gets more and more tense and of course it's getting more difficult and you're having to go through these more tense motions and it just builds to this beautiful dark crescendo that i loved Also, I believe he filtered the sounds for that game through a human skull um, <laughs> while, rec- while recording them. Be- uh, he talked. He did this. This is an interview with I think with um, the website Gamma Sutra. He said, "I don't remember how he did it exactly, but he played so many of the sounds through, like resonated them through a human skull and re-recorded them back in. Wow! And so the whole game <laughs> came through a human skull, which I guess adds some sort of spiritual darkness to it or something." <laughs> Let's see. What's another one? So Splatoon and Splatoon 2. Mm. Those are very different. I'd say two games that could not be um, more different than really? Inside. Those, yeah. I mean, in terms of a, a really dark, mysterious, side-scrolling horror game versus a very cartoony, ridiculous, very Japanese game about squids who turn into kids who are kind of dirtbag teens, <laughs> spray painting everything. I mean, it's it's very kind of mall punk 
vibe. Um, mm-hmm. This is a Nintendo game for the uh, the first one was for Wii U. The new one is for Nintendo Switch. Um, I played the I didn't really play the first one, but I played the second one and loved it so much. I loved it so much more. I still love it than I thought that I would. And the music is a big part of why it has this sort of, it's a uh, multiple composers worked on this one and they, it's largely a pretty straightforward rock band um, with a couple singers and, you know, just bass, drums, guitar, but it has this sort of very, very peppy, aggressive vibe. And then the singers are singing in a nonsense language because it's this world where everyone's a squid or <laughs> it's, it's, it's this kind of, I think it's, I think there is lore. The lore is very hidden, but it's basically, I think that the, the world ended and now squids gain sentience or something and they're locked in some war with octopuses. I'm not really sure. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> it's sort of beside the point of the game, but they, everybody speaks in this sort of like <laughs> language, kind of like Sims, you know, and the songs are all in that language. So you'll just hear this like, <laughs> like in the background <laughs> while they're playing this like music. itself is really charming and funny and then in the games this is a multiplayer sort of pvp game and you're spraying ink and trying to it's really frantic and you're kind of it's like it kind of looks like a nickelodeon show from the 90s you're spraying ink all over everything it's very slimy and you want to cover the most of the level with ink and um it's very matches go really quickly and what it does that I think is interesting uh, in terms of like video game design, a lot of PvP games, you know, like Destiny um, is an example, or definitely games like Counter-Strike, really hardcore games like that, or Call of Duty, don't have music that really plays during the match because mm-hmm. you're using your ears to hear where other people are. The whole thing is much more tactical and you're this kind of this fight going on. Um, and music will maybe play at the beginning of the match or at the end, but largely it's just quiet and all you hear is the announcer saying, you know, triple kill and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, Splatoon is not like that. And Splatoon kind of was this fantastic Nintendo reimagining of what a PvP shooter could be because Nintendo's never done a game like Call of Duty or something before. Right. And so when they did it, they did it in this very creative, original Nintendo way. And the music plays behind every match. There's this music pumping. And... Um, <laughs> it changes in time with the match timer. So when there's a minute left, the music changes and it picks up in sure. tempo. And you play this game a lot. I played this game a lot. I got very addicted to this game. <laughs> and eventually it kind of works its way into your subconscious where you know to the beat where you are in the match, how much time you have left, your last oh. 10 seconds of frantic painting where you're trying to cover as much as you can. It lines up with the music and it, the music gives it this energy that's really cool um, that just really... Uh, it really works very well with the way that they've designed the game. It was something I didn't even notice at first. And then when I thought about it, I realized, oh, yeah, most games like this don't do this, don't have sure. music. And it, yeah, it really makes it um, very cool.
so one that I should talk about, which is a game from a couple years ago now, is Undertale. Um, and it uh, has lingered, I think, as a, as a really good video game soundtrack in a way that I think is really remarkable. I, I haven't seen that many modern games with soundtracks that people still are constantly doing arrangements of. I did a big elaborate, you know, instrumental arrangement of an Undertale tune just on my YouTube channel Mm. um, recently. And then I was looking around. I always see the related videos to that. I've seen orchestras doing orchestral versions of the Undertale music. And it's made me, I always go back and listen to that music. And I think it's, it is one of my favorite modern game soundtracks. This was composed by Toby Fox, uh, who is the main person who made Undertale. He did get a little help. It wasn't quite a one-man show the way that Stardew Valley, um, a more recent game, was. But it was largely Toby Fox just made and wrote and designed the Hmm. game. And he did all the music, which is pretty incredible because the music is really elaborate. There's a lot of it. Hmm. And the game itself is also a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant game. And um, I just, I don't know. It is something that... When I listen to it, I'm, I like Stardew Valley is, is very similar. Um, Eric Barone, the the guy who made that game, he made that game by himself in his basement for um, for I think six years or something. My colleague Jason Schreier, who I think you, I think you've played Destiny with Jason, he has a book out actually. Um, call, I'll show Jason's book briefly. It's called <laughs> uh, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. It's a really cool book, and it, each chapter is like the story of a different game. And one of the chapters is about. Eric Barone making Stardew Valley. And it's just this guy just sat in his basement for six years and made this game. Wow. So Undertale and Stardew Valley have this in common where the person who made the game, who was the sole visionary behind it and almost made everything themselves, or did in the case of Stardew Valley, is also the, the sole composer of the entire soundtrack, mm. which freaks me out as a musician only because <laughs> the music's so good. I listen to it and think, this is good. I, this is as good as, you know, a good musician would make this music. This isn't (laughs) like, I also happen to know how to play piano and my focus is in game design. It's, I am a good musician and also made this amazing game. me away the thing yeah. about starting the thing about undertale it just it kills me some of the music is so good mm. and it's just it's just amazing and it kind of uh, it really helps the sense of a singular vision that the game has both of those games don't have any um voice acting which goes back to that thing i was talking about earlier i think that it the the emotion of those games is so strongly tied to the music and because the same person made the entire thing there's this kind of coherent feeling to the whole to the whole endeavor that I really like and think is just rare and sort of precious whenever yes. you find it that someone could make something like that. So I, you know, will always love Undertale for that reason and I love Stardew Valley's music um, for similar reasons. 
No, that's just the other, the opposite end of that spectrum where you'll get a AAA game with like seven composers on it. Yeah. And there can be really amazing, fantastic work that happens on games like that, musically speaking. But, it, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes, not all the time, there are exceptions, but oftentimes mm-hmm. there's this kind of patchwork feel to it, you know, and it doesn't. Yeah. Destiny 2 actually is a good example of that, I think. There's some amazing yes. music. Like, I love the soundtrack, but it's also, there's just so much and there's so many different voices that it gets yep. a little confusing sometimes. I I felt like the first Destiny was like that too. Yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, definitely. So so yeah, but I mean, then you can go to the other end of that spectrum with Undertale, or Stardew mm-hmm. Valley, and that's that's really really phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, partly just because it's so rare, because you know not many people really can do that. Right. Um, so it's cool when they do. Another amazing, amazing soundtrack is The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Mm -hmm. Um, This was composed by um, Manaka Katauka. I want to pronounce her name correctly. Um, Not a composer that I knew before this, but um, she did incredible work for this game, I think. I've, I've seen people say that they don't like the soundtrack to Breath of the Wild because it's so such a departure for that series, but that's mm-hmm. what I love about it because that <laughs> game is such a departure for that series. And I just think I think the way that that game uses music and it's it's so integrated with how the game is designed and it conveys so much about the, this incredible game world that that game has. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite video games I've played ever, probably in my life, which is you know, I don't say that lightly. It really, right. I think, is just a, a completely genius, beautiful, amazing video game. The music is just so good. So this is, you know, a huge open world game. Tons, tons of stuff to do. Uh, the whole design of the game is basically about this sense of endless possibility. And more than any other open world game I've ever played, you're standing on a hilltop, right? And you're looking down over this field, and you know there are 500 things within your line, within you know, right where you're looking, mm-hmm. where you could go do something cool. And it's just up to you to go look around and poke around. And then, oh, that tree looks weird. What happens when I go? If I cut it down, oh, this door opens and I can go. And there's just, the game has this unbelievable amount of that stuff in it. And the soundtrack captures the sense of space. It's very heavy on um, piano. It's very very influenced by um, Joe um, Hisashi. Mm-hmm. The uh, Studio Ghibli composer. It definitely has some of those. Those big, they're kind of like I think it's a lot of sus eleven chords and big open piano chords. They'll just sort of ring out as you're looking at this, you know, vast sort of illustrated, beautiful um, horizon. You know, it does get denser. There are times where it, it gets more involved, um, but there are a lot of little cool things it does. 
Each of the dungeons is a sort of a contraption that you gradually decode. And um, as you unlock each section, the music begins extremely sparse. And then each section that you unlock, it layers on a new sort of stem, like a new, nice. you know, a new counter melody or a new thing will make its way in. And so as you're making progress through the dungeon, the music is indicating to you, you know, it's getting more and more layered and more exciting and you're kind of getting more comfortable in the dungeon. And it has, that's very cool. And then also it uses the original Zelda theme, which everybody knows and is this, you know, Koji Kondo's original Legend of Zelda theme is this, you know, a thing you have to go back to in every Zelda game. It's like the Star Wars music or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it, you can't make a Star Wars music movie without at least having that fifth in there somewhere, you know, or, or some <laughs> kind of some kind of thing that, that calls back to John Williams' score. And this is, is similar. What she does that I think is so beautiful, it almost never plays. And when you're riding around on your horse, um, a lot of times these sort of uh, rhythmic piano parts will start to come in, just a really subtle like, like behind you while you're riding. <laughs> yeah. Keeps it this very light thing. But then every so often that'll be going and it starts to kind of coalesce into a chord progression. And then this solo cello just plays a sort of version of a really almost mournful or like, I guess mournful is the right word, version of that theme song. And I love that because the the theme of the game is that your character Link was a, he was asleep for a hundred years and the and the kingdom fell and calamity began and took over and there's you're sort of looking at the ruins of a kingdom which has always been a Zelda thing right you're exploring ruins mm -hmm. and you're experiencing the story as a flashback to when you were a hero and all these heroes that you were working alongside of who are all dead now everyone you know is dead <laughs> the world has kind of gone away. And I love the idea of taking the theme, the classic heroic Zelda theme, and burying it in this way that it kind of floats to the surface, like you're, you're just barely hearing it, um, like an echo. It sounds like an echo of, of a bygone era, which is what is happening. And I think it really beautifully reflects the world. It's just very evocative and a really, really good soundtrack. Kirk, we've chatted for much longer than I told you we would, and I, I feel sort of bad about that, but sort of oh, not. <laughs> that's fine. I'm always down to carry on at length about music and video games. So Awesome. Awesome. Such a pleasure to get caught up with you again. And, um, yeah. 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 Thanks so much. Yeah, Emily, it was a, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to episode 92 of Level with Emily Reese. You can learn more about Kirk Hamilton and see a full playlist at patreon.com slash level. And patrons, you can find a bonus clip of Kirk and me talking about Destiny 2, 
We played the first Destiny together a few times, so we chatted about what we thought about the second one. It's out of date because uh, I spoke with him months ago, but then broke a hard drive in my laptop. So it took a while to get everything back, but we have that now, and that'll be up shortly. And also, patrons, keep your eye out for an influx of audio from panels that we did at VGMCon, which was last weekend with Rich Vreeland, a.k.a. Disasterpiece, and Jason Graves. You'll be seeing, well, and hearing that soon. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services and composer Brad Gentle. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Incorporated.